Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Hey, everybody, we got a great one today, you know, for a change. David Farenthold of the New York Times joins me. David, you may recall, won the Pulitzer Prize for his coverage of Donald Trump's business dealings back during the 2016 presidential campaign. David's reporting revealed that Donald Trump is a, and it's not the word uh, he uses, uh, that Donald Trump is a grifter, something uh, you have known for quite some time now, thanks in large part to David. But since the fraud trial in New York is currently taking testimony from uh, the Trump defense, I thought it was a uh, good time to remind folks just who this guy is. My favorite story that David tells today is one that I, I had forgotten. It involves the Trump Charitable Foundation holding a golf tournament where there was a special $1 million prize for anyone who got a hole-in-one. I'd forgotten this story, but some guy got a hole-in-one and was very excited about uh, the million dollars and well I'm not going to spoil it for you but uh, the story tells you <laughs> everything you need to know about who Donald Trump is on an uglier note uh, Donald Trump gave a Veterans Day speech in New Hampshire last week where he said this we pledge to you that we will root out the communists Marxist, fascist, and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country, that lie and steal and cheat on elections and will do anything possible. They'll do anything, whether legally or illegally, to destroy America and to destroy the American dream. I don't know about you, but when he talks to his people about communists, Marxists, fascists, and the radical left, he's just really talking about Democrats. And I resent that. And and calling us vermin, you know, that's uh, that's code for, for Jews, at least for some of us. Vermin will not replace us. It's just getting uglier every day, folks. Now, this, again, was a Veterans Day speech from a guy who has such disrespect for people who serve in the military. John Kelly, Trump's longest-serving chief of staff, who lost his son in combat in Afghanistan, said in a statement to CNN last month that Trump is, this is the quote, a person who thinks those who defend their country in uniform 
or are shot down or seriously wounded in combat or spend years being tortured as POWs are all suckers because there is nothing in it for them. A person who did not want to be seen in the presence of military amputees because it doesn't look good for me. A person who rants their most precious heroes who gave their lives in America's defense are losers and wouldn't visit their graves in France. So I looked through Trump's Veterans Day speech and found a few things that uh, really struck me. We're also honored to be joined by the Gold Star family members of Marines who lost their lives in the Afghanistan horrible, horrible withdrawal. I got to know the, the parents and the relatives of so many of them, and they're incredible people. Okay, that's what he said on, on Veterans Day. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but Mark Meadows wrote in a book that Trump was tested positive for COVID a couple days before he and the White House announced that he had COVID. So knowing that he had tested positive for COVID, he nevertheless did a photo op with some Gold Star families in the Oval Office not telling them he had tested in positive. And then a few days later, when the White House announced he had COVID, Trump said, knowing he was lying, maybe I got it from the Gold Star families. <laughs> okay, here's, a, here's a, an odd one from the speech that day. Uh, they treat the illegal aliens just pouring, pouring into our country better than they treat our veterans. I mean, I mean, they stay in the best hotels. I don't even stay in those hotels. I say, don't stay there. They're, I tell my people, don't stay there. They're too expensive. They say, we can't, sir. They're being occupied by illegal aliens. Ah. Okay, that's right. Trump's uh, people can't stay in the nation's most expensive hotel rooms because they're being occupied by illegal aliens. Eating shrimp cocktail in the Waldorf Astoria. Trump's people are eating this up. Here's, here's another clip from the speech. You were energy independent three years ago. You had $1.87 a gallon gasoline, and now you have $5 gasoline. Okay, let me stop right there. When Trump says gas was $1.87 a gallon, that was during the worst, earliest part of the pandemic, when all economic activity was shut down. Factories were shut down. Businesses were shut down. Nobody drove. Remember, you remember that. He takes his audience for stupid, which some might be. Gas wasn't at $1.87 a gallon because Trump had opened the country up for drilling. It was because there was no, no drilling then. There was, no, there, there was a glut of gasoline in the pipeline. Now he continues. I'm the only candidate who can make this promise. I will prevent, and very easily, World War III, very easily. And you're going to have World War III, by the way. You're going to have World War III. 
if something doesn't happen fast, you're going to have World War III. I'm the only candidate in either party who can make this promise. I will prevent, 100% prevent, World War III. You're going to end up in World War III. Well, I don't know. That's, I, I, that's pretty convincing. It used to be, if you elect me, I'll put more people to work. This is, if you don't elect me, no question, you and everyone on the planet will die in a nuclear holocaust. Gee, we better vote for him, honey. Biden wins and the whole planet's a goner. And here's my final clip from Trump's Berman speech. Look, look, Biden is the most corrupt and most incompetent president in the history of our country. We got quite a year ahead of ourselves, folks, and quite a show today. David Farenthold puts Trump's New York corruption trial in context. It's a great one today. You know, for a change. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example... Let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup. <laughs> that means that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hey, David. Thank you for joining us. It's great to be here. I, I wanted to look at the um, current civil fraud trial in New York, uh, in the case being brought by Attorney General Letitia James. I guess in the first phase, Judge Arthur Engeron uh, ruled that the Trump Organization uh, is liable for fraudulently inflating the values of their real estate properties and other assets. Do you know how, how did he come to that conclusion? What were you've been following this? It were, were, were those, uh, inflated values really obviously inflated? 
Yeah, I mean, they, he came to this conclusion basically from reading a huge amount of, of evidence that the attorney general got, most of it out of Trump's own files. Basically, what we're dealing with here, I think there's been some confusion about what they mean when they say these values are inflated. Right. A lot of it created by Trump or sort of caused by Trump. This is not a case where Trump had an opinion. He said, oh, you know, my, my, I think Mar-a-Lago is worth a billion dollars and some other persons had an opinion that it was worth a lot less. It's not about a contrast of opinion. It's, a, it's about sort of material facts that Trump misrepresented or lied about um, in order to make the whole look bigger. So he would say, you know, I have these many lots in New York that I can build on. I have the rights to build on them. And so because I have the, those permissions, they're worth a lot. When really he didn't have the permissions to build on them. In fact, the permissions have been rejected. Okay, so, so that is a proof. I mean, <laughs> the judge looks at that or the, uh, the attorney general's case says he's, he, he claimed this and was just not true. Right. Exactly. There's, and that's repeated over and over again at properties all around the world, just sort of even to the size of Trump's own apartment. You know, there's material facts, provable facts that are wrong that he then sent out to banks and lenders and things like that. Now, he said his apartment was about three times the size of his apartment. Is that right? Yeah, that's I love that one the most because yeah, he looked at it every day. He obviously knows how many square feet it is, and he tripled it in the in the documents he sent out. He said it was like 30,000 square feet. Yes. And that's the size of my apartment. <laughs> but I know that. No, that. Right. He, you're, you're, not, you're honest about it. Yeah. Uh, so th the point of exaggerating the value of these properties uh, was to gain more favorable terms, right? On, right. on what? On loans and on, on insurance policies. I understand that sentence. I mean, I understand get more favorable terms, but how how does that how does that work at finance? You're you cover finance. How how does that work? What we're talking about here is basically Trump is going to banks um, trying to get loans. One's trying to get a loan to buy the Buffalo Bills, trying to get loans to you know, build or buy properties, and the banks want to know what a credit what if he's a good credit risk or not. Does he have a lot of other assets that they could seize? If, he, if the loan they're giving him goes bad. And the more assets he has, the better credit risk he has, the better terms he gets, meaning he pays a lower interest rate. He pays less over time uh, in interest. And so the AG's case is all built on the idea that by, by exaggerating how much money he had, exaggerating the value of his assets, Trump fooled the banks into giving him a better deal than they should. And that meant that he paid less than he should have in interest on the loans that he got. Okay, now does he have a any history of things like this? <laughs> so yes, I mean it, this the things that he's accused of in this suit go back a long way. Um, but yes, this is the kind of thing that he's been accused of many times before. I mean, there's a whole saga in New Jersey of all that his different run-ins with the New Jersey Casino Commission, where they accused him of misrepresenting how much money he had you know, whether he was solvent and also accused him of cheating and the metrics designed to make sure he didn't run out of money. So yeah, this, this sort of accusation with Trump goes back a long way. Now, these are casinos where didn't he go bankrupt in some of these times. casinos? Yes. You know, and there was, there were things like he was about to run out of money once and his father came in and bought like a million dollars worth of chips and didn't spend them so that there was a million dollars more in the bank. 
you know, things like that, where he was constantly sort of battling the New Jersey Casino Commission over stuff like that. Well, that that says something nice about his, his relationship with his dad, doesn't it? Exactly. Okay, now you won your Pulitzer back in what seventeen? Seventeen. Uh, after covering Trump University, but other stuff too. I know yes. that I remember. First of all, uh, Trump University was a business uh, <laughs> that was a, a university. <laughs> <laughs> Only in the loosest of terms. It was basically a set of real estate classes, but it was set up as basically like a pressure campaign. You'd come in for the first campaign or the first class. And then they'd say, well, you know, you won't really learn anything until you pay us more to get to the gold level class. And in the gold level class, you, you would hear, well, you won't really learn anything until you get to the platinum level class. And pretty soon you've, you've signed away twenty five dollars or $30,000 to Trump University. And then you get tips from them that are basically what you can find online. So they he went to court. Now, this is actually during the campaign that right. he was in court, right? Yes. And when was this thing decided? That case he settled so that, that a previous New York attorney general sued him for fraud over Trump University. And after the case was still going on during the 2016 campaign, after Trump won, he settled for paying $25 million in settlement, but then got somebody else, basically his business partner in the Las Vegas Trump Hotel to pay the fine for him. Okay, so this is a, a pattern that goes back there. It was also... Uh, the Trump Foundation during that campaign. Trump Foundation is a charitable organization, <laughs> right? Yes. But it wasn't. <laughs> no, uh, it was a foundation, but he basically treated it like a, you know, like another part of his own wealth. He used it to buy portraits of himself. He used it to settle business disputes. He used it to, uh, you know, he would like there was a guy who sued him because he didn't get a hole in one prize at a Trump golf course. Trump used the foundation's money to settle the, the lawsuit with that guy, and he used it to help his political campaign. Okay, so there was a hole-in-one contest. <laughs> yes. And a guy gets a hole-in-one. Yes. So the, a guy gets a hole-in-one, and they said, you win a million dollars if you get a hole-in-one. So he gets the hole-in-one, and mm -hmm. this is like a charity golf tournament at the Trump course. He's back in the clubhouse celebrating, and then they come to him an hour later and said, actually – you don't win anything because the the, the, the the fine print says to get the hole in one, the ball has to travel, you know, 200 yards or something. And Trump's people had set up the course so that the ball only traveled 197. It was only 197 yards between the tee and the hole. So he had gotten the hole in one, but the hole was set up in violation of the rules. And so he sued Trump and Trump, you know, Trump settled, but then used the charity's money to pay the guy to pay off the settlement which I mean, probably goes without saying for your listeners, but you can't do that. A, a, a nonprofit, a charity, even if it's named after you, is a separate thing. It has its own money and own mission. You can't just dip into it when, you're, when you feel like it to pay off your business settlements. So this is just a long, long, long pattern of this. Have you been following the trial in terms of uh, he's been hit with a couple of gag orders, right? Yes. Now, is it possible that because the, the Trump attacked Engeron a number of times, mm -hmm. quite viciously, right? Right. And is was was he trying to get Engeron so mad that maybe this could be thrown out? 
that Engeron could say something that would get this tossed out. And that to me is, it looks like what his strategy is. So as you said, before the trial even began, Judge Engeron came out and said, I believe Trump committed fraud. You know, I've, that part of the trial was already done. Now we're just going to have a trial to figure out what his punishment should be. So Trump's already, you know, really in a corner here. And I think that has been his strategy is to provoke Engeron, the judge, enough that he then lashes out or does something that Trump could then present on appeal and get a new trial or get the verdict thrown out. So that I think that is very, very much is it's not he doesn't have much of a hope there, but that is his best hope of of staving off disaster here. Now, what has their defense been when they come and testify? Uh, we got a preview of it yesterday when Donald Trump Jr. testified, and the defense has basically been two pronged. One was the Trump properties are so great and so um, well developed that you you can't possibly overestimate their value. The value could be infinite. You know, so that if you're accusing Trump of saying his properties are worth more than they really were, that's impossible because they're so great. The other other avenue that they're pursuing is that you know who are the victims here? And we talked about this a little bit earlier. You know, our, we got loans based on these representations. We paid back the loans. The lenders got all their money and more. They made a profit. So there's no crime because the lenders got paid back. We talked about earlier, the, the attorney general's argument there is, yes, they, the, the lenders got paid back, but they didn't get the money they, they should have or would have if they'd known the truth about Trump in the beginning. I see. So in other words, uh, they got a better deal in terms of interest rate, et cetera, because uh, <laughs> they had lied about uh, the value of the property and the value of all their other properties. So exactly, save themselves one hundred and eighty million dollars. I think, according to the attorney general. So, and she's asking for a two hundred and fifty million dollar settlement, or yeah. So she wants to, Trump to have to pay back the hundred and eighty million dollars, basically that he should have paid the banks, but he didn't. And also, she wants him to pay back the proceeds that he got when he sold his hotel in D.C. Because she says that he got that hotel in D.C., which is built in a government-owned building by deceiving the government and making himself seem like a better... Like, he got that contract through fraud, and so he should have to give up the proceeds of selling the hotel. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with David Farenthold. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So what does this say about this family? It's been a very interesting experience for me as somebody who spent years trying to get to pin the Trump family down to answer questions about their business. It's been sort of satisfying to see somebody with subpoena power and, a, you know, swear them in and make them tell the whole truth. But it, it does show you to the degree to which 
their family was sort of tied up in this business and, and all involved in, you know, what the attorney general says was a long pattern of fraud. You know, that it wasn't just Trump doing it. He, the attorney general says it was Don Jr., it was Eric, it was Ivanka. You know, they all played a role in crafting and disseminating these, this false information about their business. In some ways, according to her, that's what it was, the business. And the business couldn't have been in anywhere as successful as it was if they were telling the truth about their assets. Now, where does Michael Cohen come in? Because he testified and he had lied once or in, in front of a congressional committee before he kind of reversed his testimony there. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So Michael Cohen, I mean, in some ways gets credit for having started this inquiry because, you know, he he was the one in 2018 after pleading guilty to the Stormy Daniels related charges he then came out and said, um, you know, it was a congressional hearing. He said that, you know, that I helped Trump deceive lenders. I helped Trump deceive insurers um, and sort of got pointed the finger to these things called statements of financial condition, which are sort of the, the statements that are at the heart of this case, the lies that Trump allegedly sent out. And so Cohen gets the credit for starting all of this. But then when he was actually brought in as a witness in this case, you're right, he admitted to having lied in some other proceeding. And so, I mean, effectively for the AG, for the attorney general in this case, I think he's pretty much a worthless witness. Um, and I think they're going to have to prove that everything they know and everything they got, they got without needing his help, you know, that he was not essential to their case because he's shown himself to be unreliable. And how easy is that for them to prove? I don't think it will be too hard. I mean, honestly, a lot of their case is made by documents they got by subpoenaing the Trump organization itself and by interviewing other people. You know, looking through the case that they made, I don't see any place where there's, you know, Michael Cohen is the only source of evidence. So I don't think it will be a problem for them, but I am sure that the Trump attorneys will raise that on appeal just because it's not, you know, it's one of their, it is a, it is a sort of a witness that they've called who turned out to be unreliable. So I'm certain they'll try to throw that back at them on appeal. So what, what does this mean? I mean, the American people, again, I, I think Trump supporters will look at this and say, well, it's a Democratic attorney general, right? Right. And it's a, it looks like a Democratic judge. Right. I guess. And also, I don't care, <laughs> I think. <laughs> but isn't, is, is there not a weakness in this, but is there, uh, I'm, I'm getting very afraid about uh, this, this coming election in which I think uh, so many of uh, the Trump people just have now taken the position that they don't believe anything that right. comes from anywhere other than from Trump's side. I don't, I hope that the attorney general didn't bring this case to make a political point. I hope she didn't bring this case to sort of, you know, bury Donald Trump's chances in 2024. And I honestly don't know what kind of impact it will have. But the thing that's interesting for me as someone who's looked, you know, watched cover Trump over the years is this trial really more than the other ones we're going to see next year really strikes at the heart of who Donald Trump was in 2016 when he ran for president. This successful developer, this guy who like made miracles and was the greatest, you know, the guy from The Apprentice. This sure. case really says that guy, that persona that got him the presidency in the first place was a lie. It was built on you know years and years of lying. So I don't know if it'll change anybody's mind in 2024, but to me, it's certainly been interesting to, to 
to watch this deconstruct the persona that Donald Trump lived for so long. We know he's a grifter. You, you can't say that, right? <laughs> I, I just think about who he was in 2016. You know, I think people, he's a very different candidate now. He's running on really hard right policies on, you know, sort of, you know, authoritarian policies. But then he was just a businessman who was going to make a deal and, you know, solve our problems. He was sort of presented himself in some ways as being beyond politics, just a guy who was, you know, this sort of archetypal businessman candidate. And, you know, what we're seeing now is that was, you know, all, you know, at least from the, according to the attorney general, built on falsehoods. The attorney general and your work uh, proving that he was, you know, engaged in in fraud with his charitable organization, et cetera. Right. Okay. Well, uh, that puts, puts him in perspective. I, I hope that enough of the American people, I think it's going to be a close election. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hope this is a, a, a piece of it. Do you think that this, this will be done before? How, what, what is the timeline on this thing? I think it will be done relatively soon. I mean, the judge has already ruled on a lot of the issues here. Like I said, the, the question he now is just how much of a financial penalty will he will Trump face, whether his business uh, sort of right, right to operate businesses in New York will be canceled and he'll have to sell off his businesses. So I, I don't think that the judge seems, you know, also it's not a it's not a jury. It's the judge who seems very well read into this. So I don't think the decision will take that long after the trial ends, which I think will be in the next few weeks. So this, you know, other trials will stretch into next year, but I think that the, the initial trial phase of this one won't, won't take too much longer. So th- this means that he will not, if the judge decides this, that he will not be able to operate his businesses in New York. Does Since you cover finance, is it easy for him to transfer that, or does that mean all that property that's in New York cannot be, um, cannot be transferred to another corporation in another state or can it? Well, it's a, apparently this is something this so the judge sort of said he was going to do that even before the trial started. And that's been stayed by an appeals court until the, this trial is over. I think it, this rarely happens, at least on this scale. So it's not a really well-known process. But I think that the answer is that he would not be able to transfer them to another another company owned by him. He would have to sell them. There would be sort of a court-appointed receiver who would sell those properties off and give Trump the money. You know, he has a lot of other properties that are based in other states like Mar-a-Lago and Florida. So this would not end his business empire, but it would certainly, if, if, the, if the judge chooses that maximum remedy, would get rid of a lot of the Trump properties in New York, New Jersey, and other places that are all headquartered in New York, or, you know, registered as businesses in New York State. Well, thank you, David, for putting this trial in perspective with uh, the, the the work that you've done. How, how long have you been covering him? I started uh, in Iowa in February 2016. Okay, and uh, and I hope uh, w- will you be able to stop if he loses? <laughs> I've already been able to take a little bit of a step back because he, you know, I covered his business so much, and his business obviously matters a lot less when he's not president than it did when he was. Um, but yes. Maybe I don't know. It's it's always been fascinating, and it's been even more fascinating now that it's on trial. Okay, well, thanks so much, David. Thank you. Well, I I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing 
this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.